doesn't matter what your title is or what your job description is. If you're not thinking through business problems through a customer lens, you're missing out. And if I can empower everyone in the audience to go back and think just a little bit differently, I am positive that their businesses are going to see a positive financial impact from that. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. As I'm sure you've gotten the hint by now that the B2B Marketing Exchange in Scottsdale is coming up. So for a little preview of what you can expect at the show, I'm here with the experience maker himself, Dan Gingis. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you just share a little bit more about yourself for our listeners? Of course. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for having me on. And I can't wait to meet you in Scottsdale, especially because I get to leave freezing cold Chicago in order to get there in February. So I appreciate the planning on that. My name's Dan Gingis, and I am today a professional keynote speaker and customer experience expert. And I work with companies to help create the kinds of remarkable experiences that customers want to tell other people about. And this came from me being a marketer for 20 years. So I love that this event features a whole lot of marketers in the audience because I can relate to them. And what I found after all these years is that the one thing that is better than any possible marketing campaign, any email, social media, direct mail campaign is to create experiences that get other people talking about us. Because word of mouth marketing, as we all know, is the most powerful kind. And customer experience is the way to generate that word of mouth. So that's what I talk about. I do it through storytelling, a lot of humor and fun, because I am a believer that if we can't have fun going to work, then what's the point? Could not agree with you more there. So obviously you have branded yourself as the experience maker. So I would like to focus on that and dig a little bit deeper into the customer experiences that you mentioned. So with that in mind, can you walk us through how customer expectations have evolved over the past few years and sort of what that means for marketers? Of course. And one thing I want to clarify is it's not just Dan, that's the experience maker. One of the things that I hope to achieve with your audience at B2BMX is that everyone in the audience walks out feeling like they're the experience maker as well. And what I mean by that is that customer experience is everyone's job in an organization. It doesn't matter what your title is or what your job description is. If you're not thinking through business problems through a customer lens, you're missing out. And if I can empower everyone in the audience to go back and think just a little bit differently, I am positive that their businesses are going to see a positive financial impact from that. As for customer expectations, they are ever-changing, which is why I love to say that customer experience is a journey. You better love the journey because there really is no destination. There's no company yet that I can point to that has a perfect customer experience. And so everybody's still working on it. But customer expectations are high. And that's because there are a lot of companies out there doing it really, really well. And the reality is, is that whether you are in a B2B business or a B2C business, you're getting compared to the last great experience that a customer has had. And that may not seem fair, but that is the reality. And so 
if somebody went on to Amazon yesterday and had a completely seamless purchase experience and their package showed up at their door today, then when they go do business with you, they expect something as simple and convenient as Amazon just provided to them. Or if they went into Starbucks and they were greeted by name and the barista remembered their order and put their name on the cup and they got to choose exactly what they wanted, then their expectation the next time they deal with any company is that it's just as personalized and friendly and customized. And again, sometimes especially B2Bs don't think that's fair, but that's kind of the human condition is that once we experience something we really like, we want more of it. And so I always try to tell B2B companies that they're not as different from B2Cs as they think they are. And if they, in fact, think more like B2Cs, they will create the kinds of experiences that their clients then want to tell other people about. Perfect. So now I would just like to dive a little more into how B2B customer experiences are now being compared against those of B2C. So could you kind of elaborate a little bit more on how the line is blurring between the two and is there any place where they don't overlap? Strictly B2B does not work in B2C or vice versa. Give us the Venn diagram here. Yeah, I mean, most B2B experiences start with a sales process. And again, I always like to talk about other industries and bring them into the industry that I'm in front of so that we can all learn from different industries. I find that if you look immediately at your direct competition, you're not likely to find inspiration. But if you look at an industry that's totally different from yours, then you can. So one of the stories that I tell in my book is about buying windows for my house. And this is one of the largest purchases I've ever made in my life because my house, unfortunately, has a lot of windows. And we interviewed seven different salespeople from seven different companies. Now, we ended up going with the second most expensive company, but it was because we really liked the salesperson. And I want to tell you, B2Bs, this happens all the time in the business world is that people choose software companies or other B2Bs because they like the salesperson. So it's not that you're the cheapest one. It's that a relationship has already started. And the companies that have figured out that business is about relationships and not about transactions are the ones that are usually really good at client or customer experience. Now, fast forward to the installation day of these windows and all sorts of things went wrong. They brought the wrong windows, for example. And so they were only able to install about 80% of my windows. They then sent me to a repair team, which sounded weird to me because I didn't need anything repaired. I still needed the other 20% of my windows installed. I got the runaround for weeks and weeks. And guess who I couldn't get a hold of during that entire time? The salesperson that I really liked because the salesperson had gone on to the next sale. And that left me so frustrated that not only will I never buy windows from this company again, but I will never recommend them to anyone. And if anyone tells me they're going to purchase from them, I'll give them a warning. So what can we learn in the B2B space? Well, we have the same kind of setup where a salesperson is responsible for building the relationship and for getting the person to the prospect to like them. And one of the things that we can learn is that once we make the sale, that there's still more work to do even as a salesperson. And so I always suggest to the salespeople that the first thing they do is they reach back out to the new client and they tell them how much of a great decision they just made. Because just like in the consumer world, B2B buyers immediately have buyer's remorse. They just made a huge purchase. And I always like to imagine they go home one of two ways. They go home and they talk to their significant other and they say, 
oh my gosh, I just bought this half a million dollar software program today. And if I didn't choose the right one, my boss is going to fire me. And I hope I did, but I'm honestly not sure. And I'm worried. Or they go home and they say, oh my gosh, I had the greatest day at work ever. I finally made a decision on a half a million dollar software company. And I know I made the right decision because as soon as we signed, they told me that they would have my back. They're going to even help me get promoted. And I feel like I have picked the right company for me and for our organization. And they go home with that positive attitude. And that's because the salesperson has made them feel comfortable. So the salesperson is going to hand this new customer off probably to somebody in a team called client success. But remember that that customer doesn't know anyone on that team, right? All they know is the salesperson. And so it's really important that the salesperson sticks around for that first introductory meeting and lets the customer know that they're still going to be there if something goes wrong. What's fascinating is almost never will the customer call back the salesperson because once they know the client success team, they'll start working with them, but they'll feel better knowing that the salesperson is there for them if they ever have to call. So this is a long answer to your short question about the relationship to B2B and B2C. But again, I think that when we draw the parallels, there are more parallels than there are differences. And I would say the biggest difference, because you did ask about differences, the biggest difference is that B2Bs are often not selling to just one person. They might be selling to a committee or there might be dozens or even hundreds of users of the software, right? And so there's sort of, there's multiple customers. And I do think that adds to a layer of complexity, but keep in mind that the ultimate decision maker and the one that's going to decide whether you get that renewal or not, it's usually one person or a small group of people. Absolutely. So now, Obviously, you are on this podcast today because you are speaking at B2BMX, which you have mentioned, and you will actually be hosting one of our keynote sessions. So could you just give our listeners a little preview of what they can expect to hear? Absolutely. I am going to teach the audience how to become experience makers at their business, how to go about their day always thinking about whatever they're doing and how it impacts the customer. I once got a great compliment from a boss that was something I didn't even know about myself. He said that he had watched me in business meetings and that I was always wearing the customer hat, that I was always looking at business problems through the lens of the customer. At the time, I thought everybody did that, but I realized that actually it's a skill that has to be taught. And so I will teach my wiser methodology, which makes you not only wise to the power of customer experience or client experience, but wiser than the competition. And it's five different steps to creating the kinds of experiences that people want to share. All of them are going to have real life examples, some from B2B, some from B2C, but I promise that they are fun examples, they're engaging, and will always bring it back to your business so that you can take a look and say, okay, now I understand why Dan's talking about amusement parks. I don't run an amusement park business, but I can learn something from an amusement park and I can go about my job tomorrow a little bit differently because of what I've learned. Perfect. So now you did mention that five-step framework. And while we obviously want to leave a little something to be discovered at the event, could you give us a little taste or a little preview of what those five steps entail? Of course. So it starts with the wise part, which is becoming wise to the power of customer experience. And these are really four of the first five steps to becoming the experience maker at your business. A W is about being witty. 
And witty is not about being humorous or hysterical, but it is about being clever and a little bit more fun, showing a human personality behind the brand. And so it really comes down to looking at every communication channel that we have and just trying to infuse a little personality into it. So you don't necessarily have to make people laugh, but you might make them smile. And if we can make our customers smile, we're really off to a great start. The I is immersive, which is about creating experiences that people really feel in their bones and therefore remember for a long time. And in order to create immersive experiences, we have to either go after one of the five senses or we have to hit people in an emotional place. And that's easier to do than you think, even in a B2B space. And often it comes down to just really genuinely knowing the person as a human being. So for example, if you know that they have kids or pets, that might influence the gift that you send them at the end of the year, or perhaps something that you do to surprise them during the year. That is a little kind of a thing that hits people in an emotional spot that they don't forget. Quickest way to somebody's heart is through their kids or their pets. And so if you can participate in that, you're going to be in good shape. The S is about being shareable. And this is really about finding those moments that people, because we've all done it, that people reach into their pocket or their purse and they pull out their phone because they want to capture that moment. And it doesn't matter whether they share it to a million people on social media or they just share it with mom and dad or their kids or a coworker. What we want is to create consistent experiences that get people talking about us. Because when they're talking about us with good experiences, they're using our brand and they're providing us with word of mouth marketing. The E is about being extraordinary. And the definition of extraordinary is just better than ordinary. And so being extraordinary doesn't have to be a huge deal. It just has to be a step up from where we are and certainly from where our competition is. The good news is most of our competitors are ordinary. So being extraordinary isn't that difficult. Now, when we become wise to the power of customer experience, what we find is more people are talking about us. This could be in social media, it could be on ratings and review sites, it could be in lots of places, and we wanna be part of that conversation. So the R, the thing that makes us wiser than the competition is to be responsive. And that means to get in there and respond to customers who are giving us compliments, who are complaining, and who are asking questions. I always suggest that we respond to everyone with the only exception being trolls or spammers, because even customers that are complaining generally complain because they care. That means that they want you to fix their problem. If they didn't want you to do that, then they would just move to the competition. But they actually like doing business with you and they hope to continue. And so complaints can be super valuable and most companies are afraid of them. So I say dive in and respond to complaints, but especially when people say nice things about you, make sure you dive in there and be part of that conversation. Awesome. So now I would kind of like to flip the narrative a little bit here and discuss what are some sort of the aspects of the customer experience that you actually find overrated? So in other words, is there something that everyone does that just is not working anymore? That's a terrific question. And I would say that any time you're doing something and you could describe it as either it's the way we've always done it or it's how everyone else does it. That is generally a good sign that you should be doing something else. Two examples that I would give you, one that applies to both B2B and B2C, and the other that applies mostly to B2B. First one is 
what I would say simplistic personalization. So what this looks like is we build a simple variable into our system. Think about when you log into your bank account. My bank account says, good morning, Daniel. So whoopee, it knows that it's morning and it knows that my legal name is Daniel. The problem is it doesn't know that the only person who calls me Daniel is my mother and only when she's mad at me. So when I see good morning, Daniel, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Now, one of my bank accounts a few years ago popped up a question and said, what would you like us to call you? Fantastic. I put in Dan and now it says, good morning, Dan. You see the difference? It's sort of quasi-personalization versus we actually know the customer and we know what they want to be called. The one that's B2B only has to do with how we talk about our offerings. And there's a wonderful study that I shared in my book about a B2B that was having a debate with their website designers because they wanted to use navigation tags that were the same as their competitors. And you've probably seen these navigation labels because so many companies use them. They're products, services, resources, those kinds of things, right? These very generic words. Well, the website designers couldn't convince their client to use different titles. And so they ran a study and they had 2,500 people come to a fictional website that had these exact same headers that all these B2B companies have, products, services, resources. And they asked these prospective customers, where would you go to find X on this site? Where would you go to find Y on this site? And what they found over and over and over again is that it was split almost equally which title that people chose at the top because they had no idea what the difference between product services and resources were. They all literally resulted in their brain as the same thing. And this is what finally convinced this company to say, okay, maybe just because everyone else is using these navigation labels, it's still not a good idea. Maybe we should be the ones that are different and to actually know what our customers need. And so we do fall into this trap a lot because we look at the competition, often they're bigger, and we say, we want to be like them. And I have a lot of experience with this. I worked for 10 years at Discover Card, which is certainly not the biggest credit card company. But if all we did was look at Chase and Citibank and Capital One and Amex for inspiration, then the best we could have done was copy them. And so that's not going to differentiate your company. You've got to look at outside the industry, at unique perspectives, at being different from everybody else. And that's how you stand out. Perfect. I don't know if you know this about us, but we are a podcast that does our research and we happen to uncover that you are a licensed bartender. So do you think you'll be moonlighting at the opening reception or networking events behind the bar at the event? If they will let me behind the bar, I will commit right now to bartending because I absolutely love it. It's funny. I went to bartending school right after I graduated college. It was a two-week night program. And it was an absolute blast. And I remember I won an award because they had a speed test. So they set up a bar 
with you know other students in the class coming up and they try to simulate a really busy bar where people are coming up and giving you drink after drink after drink. And not only did you have to make all the drinks, you had to make them accurately. And I remember that I won first place in our class during that speed test. And I really only did it because I thought it would be a fun skill to have, not because I actually wanted to be a bartender. And to this day, you know, decades later, it is still a skill that I use and that I get to talk about. So yes, if you want to put me behind the bar, I'm there. Perfect. I'll have to talk to Claudia about adding that to your speaker package. And we are tequila girls. So just keep that in mind when you're back there. Fantastic. I'm on it. Perfect. So unfortunately, this is such a fun conversation, but we are coming down to the wire here. Dan, do you have any last parting words or thoughts before we let you go today? Yeah, I would just say come to my session with an open mind. We're going to go on a really fun journey. It's not going to be like the other sessions. And that's on purpose because I'm trying to teach you how to not be like your competition. And so one of the things that I really believe in is practicing what I preach. And so when I get there and I get on stage, my number one job is to create an experience for the audience while I'm teaching them how to create experiences for their customers. And so if you come in with an open mind and you come in ready to have fun, I know that you're going to enjoy it. And I really look forward to seeing everybody there. Absolutely. All right, folks, you heard that. Dan will be there. I will be there. Claudia will be there. Everyone will be there. So we hope to see you there at the B2B Marketing Exchange. We're going to throw some links in our show notes for you to register and and get your agenda all in order and all of that good stuff. But for now, we are going to call it a day here. I would like to thank everyone again for tuning in and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter so we could chat, you could share your thoughts about the podcast and even tell us any other topics you'd like to hear from. So that is a wrap on today's episode and I'll talk to you all next week.